This morning, our scripture reading is uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Please follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 1 through 11 from chapter 6 in the New International Version. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. The word of the Lord. Before we jump into the text this morning, I thought it would be a really good way for us to enter into inviting the Spirit to lead and direct us as we open ourselves up to the Scriptures. And for those of you here in the room and those of you watching at home, I'd ask Jared, I want him to sing that line again, I will wait for you for your love is my delight. And I just want us, I want you to sing it through twice, Jared, in that high register that you do, okay? <laughs> He's a vocal performance major, so I know he can do this. And as he sings, I want us to just, just listen to the words, listen to the expression. And then after you sing it through, Jared, if we could just sit for a moment and actually wait and see what the Spirit might be saying to us as a people this morning. Can we do that? And for those of you at home, if you are uh, in a space where you can just quietly sit and make yourself comfortable, sit in the most comfortable posture that you can and just invite the Spirit to lead and direct you. So when you're ready, Jared, when your breath is full, sing over us for a moment and just listen. I will wait for you, I will wait for you through the storm and through the night. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your love is my delight. Oh, I will wait for you. through the night I will 
surely wait for you for your love is my delight holy spirit speak to us now we are listening Let's listen again as Jared sings over us, inviting the Spirit to speak to the inner depths of our being, the mystery of that whisper, that gentleness to move into every area of our life to bring healing and hope where there is chaos and darkness. Speak now, Holy Spirit. Oh, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, until my soul is satisfied. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your love is my delight. May we be a people who are courageous enough to enter into those small spaces inside of us that are hard to look at. And may you, Holy Spirit, as you move into our lives, as you teach and instruct and lead us to move deeper into the ways of Jesus as a people, would you be merciful to us, kind and compassionate and gracious, as we do our best to Step and walk in the way of Jesus as we do our best to look to you for all things. Fill us with hope this morning. And for those of us watching at home, bring your spirit in those spaces. Bless them and their families and their children and their friends and their coworkers. Holy Spirit, you move and we will follow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jared. So get used to that, Jared and Linnea. I may call you up from time to time. I do like the flow in that direction, so thank you for your willingness to step in. Um, last week, we, we found ourselves in Luke chapter 4, and we're slowly moving through the gospel of Luke's narrative on our way to Jerusalem. We're going to be moving towards the cross and towards Resurrection Sunday as we soon will step into Lent. But we began two weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 4, and, and what I had said about Luke chapter 4 was this was Jesus' inaugural sermon, which fell right on the same week as President Biden's inauguration speech. And in Jesus' inauguration speech, he gave us what I would identify as five signposts of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came into his mission and into his ministry, he made a declaration that the kingdom of God is now here. Now, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, what he's doing is he's making a declaration and a statement that God is now ruling and reigning, and this is actually what it looks like. So when we see Jesus making a proclamation, he then demonstrates, this is what it looks like when I say that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is now here. 
So we pay attention, we pay careful attention to the things that Jesus says, but also to the things that Jesus does because it gives us a broader perspective on what God is up to in the world and then how we can choose to step in and participate in those actions. So those five signposts that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter four come out of the prophet Isaiah, but they're declarations as to this is what I'm about. So Luke is, is setting up the direction of his narrative about the life of Jesus and stating, this is what I'm about, this is what I'm about to do. So what I'd like us to do in those first five signposts is I'd like us to say those together out loud this morning. Is that okay? And for those of you who are tuning in at home, I invite you to say these things out loud so that we can begin integrating them into who we are becoming as his people here on Mercer Island. So let's say them together, right? First signpost, to proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And with laser focus, passion, direction, Jesus then sets his face in the direction of these signposts. So everything following this statement, Jesus begins to demonstrate this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning here on earth. Now, as the reader, I step back and think, oh, how do we as God's people become more of a reflection of these particular signposts of the kingdom of God? What's it going to take and how are we going to get there? That's the journey that we as, as leaders, as prayer partners, as people who are pastors here at Evergreen want to invite all of us to step into how do we become people marked by these five signposts. So that's Luke chapter 4. So Jesus sets the direction. And then Luke jumps to chapter 6, and he gives us two different Sabbath stories back to back. And in the first Sabbath story, Jesus makes a declaration about who he is. He's, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And in the second Sabbath story, he breaks the law yet again, and it ticks off the religious ruling class. So when we look at it from, from above and we look down at the stories, what we see, first of all, in our observation is that we have two different interpretations of Sabbath, two different perspectives. We have Jesus' perspective on what the Sabbath is for, and then we have the religious ruling class's perspective on what the Sabbath is for. Now, as I look at these stories, one of the questions that I ask of myself and those of us who are following Jesus today is, I think this is an invitation for those of us who would categorize ourselves as we are believers in Jesus, is this is a great opportunity for us to change and adapt. And we all love changing and adapting, don't we? But this is an invitation for those of us who would follow Jesus to change and adapt. And I thought, man, I want to be part of a community of people who are malleable, where we're not so like clamped down on things. Well, this is how we've always done things, but we are a people who are malleable, people who are willing to flow with the movement of the Holy Spirit, willing to act in the moment when God is calling us to something that might make us uncomfortable or push us out of our comfort zones. It's like, what is Jesus up to, and how can we be a part of whatever he's up to in the world? I said in, in my first sermon here at Evergreen was, 
the three things we want to remember as we come together and gather is that we always want to remember the way of Jesus. We want to realign and reorient ourselves around the way of Jesus. So that will always be in the language and, and how we move forward as a people. So when we gather and why we gather is not just to be entertained, but we gather because we want to remember who we are and who we are following, but we also want to be the kinds of people who are constantly realigning and reorienting ourselves around the way of Jesus. This is why we gather, to remember, realign, and reorient. And it's important to keep in mind, as we see Jesus challenging the understanding and the practices here in this particular section of Scripture, that Jesus' actions are rooted in Luke chapter 4's inaugural speech, the signpost of the kingdom of God. And in particular, I want to look at that expression that this is the year of the Lord's favor. Because what it does is it sets the course for Luke's entire narrative. It's all about this year of the Lord's favor and what that means and all the implications that go along with that particular statement. So the first question that I asked myself when I looked at this story through the lens of Luke chapter 4 is, what is Jesus doing here? Why, why is he breaking the law again? Like, why, why stir up controversy this early in the game? Like, why not wait for a while before you start stirring up controversy? But what is he doing here? This is what I think. I think he's overthrowing and renegotiating power structures in favor of the oppressed. And you're like, oh, now it's about to get real. You see, the proclamation that Jesus made in Luke chapter 4 about the year of the Lord's favor was then followed by a demonstration of what that actually meant. So if you go back in Luke chapter 4 and you read towards the end, you will see Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. He's delivering people from demonic possession. He's setting the oppressed free, and he's healing people. And people are coming to him in droves on the Sabbath, the day that you're not supposed to do these kinds of things. And Jesus is healing people because in Jesus' thinking, this is the year of the Lord's favor. And so he proclaims, and then he demonstrates. And you'll notice the same pattern in Luke chapter 6. He makes a proclamation, I am Lord of the Sabbath, and then he demonstrates what that actually means. That is a pattern that you will notice throughout the rhythm of Jesus' ministry. He proclaims the kingdom of God is here, and then he demonstrates. He teaches a parable, and then he demonstrates. That might be a great practice and a lens for us to look through as we're seeking to be a people who are walking in the way of Jesus, that we're not just about proclaiming the good news of Jesus, we're also a people who demonstrate. This is what it looks like. So we step into practice. So all this discussion around the year of the Lord's favor, where is this coming from? Well, if you go way back in Israel's story into the book of Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus, there is this statement about what the year of the Lord's favor is. It's called the year of Jubilee. And it's every seventh year they step into a practice where they take the whole year off. They don't farm. They don't till up the ground. They don't plant. They let the crops in the earth rest. Slaves would go free. Debts would be forgiven. And God's people would truly rest and celebrate. Imagine an entire year of celebrating God's goodness. 
what that would do to our human psyche and what that would do to us as people. To step back into this practice of resting as a people. Again, Jesus is proclaiming, demonstrating the year of the Lord's favor. So in the beginning of Luke chapter 6, when Jesus refers to himself as Lord of the Sabbath, notice that he also refers to himself as a descendant of David, which gives him some credibility. And what that means is that Jesus is making a statement that he has been given the authority to be a proper interpreter of the religious law, and that is what he's doing here. Now, the Pharisees, the religious ruling class, they've been interpreting the scripture. They've been interpreting Torah for their communities. They've been given the responsibility to help people decipher this is what it means to follow the laws and the regulations of God. And they would set up all these rules and regulations around Sabbath. Here's what you can do. Here's what you cannot do. And in order for them to keep order, the way in which they did this was through penalty and shame. Now, here's the thing. When you enforce rules and regulations through penalty and shame, it actually works. The problem is, but it doesn't lead to freedom. But you can control things this way and bring things in proper order. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus is is reinterpreting, renegotiating power structures in favor of of the oppressed. And Jesus is giving new interpretation to the scripture. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you will read statements throughout the entire sermon that say, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. What is he doing? He's interpreting the full intent of God's law. You have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say to you that if you have anger or resentment or bitterness in your heart, you are guilty of breaking the whole law. And you're going, well, that's a hard teaching. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving us the full intent of the scriptures. So the question in Luke chapter 6 that are posed to Jesus basically come down to this. Who has the authority to actually interpret scripture? Or a better question might be, who actually has the authority to best understand and then implement the will of God? And Jesus claims, I do. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So when you hear that statement, you're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, what are you saying? And where did you get this authority. So if you step back in Luke's narrative again and you look at chapter 4 of Luke, you will see that Jesus, this isn't the first time that he's broken the law on the Sabbath. Earlier on in the story, Luke says he's been doing this before. So here we are again. Jesus is about to break the law yet again, all through the lens of Luke chapter 4, because in his mind, this is the year of the Lord's Now, we understand that breaking Sabbath law is actually a big no-no. It's a a guaranteed way for you to get in trouble, especially as a person of authority. So it's a big offense. And what Luke is saying is that Jesus has the authority to interpret the full intent of what Sabbath means. He's overthrowing, renegotiating power structures in favor of the oppressed And when the religious ruling class starts losing control, they freak out. You see the same thing happening today. Whenever religious authorities or power structures begin to lose control, there's a defensiveness that rises up inside of us. We lose control. It's like, oh no, we can't can't slip off the rails 
too far. And so then comes part two of this Sabbath story, and it's a setup. The religious authorities are trying to keep control. They're trying to maintain order. And in part two, Jesus is then met with a man with a withered hand. Now, notice that the text says that it was his right hand. When you see those kinds of clues in a story, the lights on the dashboard should be blinking brightly at the moment. They're, they're trying to tell us something. What, why did the author feel it was necessary for us to know that it was his right hand that was withered? That's one thing to keep in mind. Secondly, notice that the man didn't ask to be healed. The man didn't initiate. He didn't say, I want you to heal me. He didn't approach Jesus. He was just there celebrating Sabbath. And then Jesus invites him to stretch out his hand. And he even asks him to stand in the middle. And it almost appears on the surface like Jesus is using this guy as a prop in some way. And that the religious leaders are like, okay, we're going to set Jesus up. So, so the stage is set. And it's important for us to know that it was his right hand that had been withered. Your right hand was extremely significant because it was your way into society. This was the hand in which you did labor, uh, in which you did tasks, in which you contributed to society. Your left hand was used for proper hygiene. You fill in the blanks. I think you'll understand. You're adults here. So your left hand was the hand that you would conceal. You wouldn't bring that out in public. When you would go to greet somebody, you never greet somebody with your left hand. You always greeted somebody with your right hand. So here's the man with a shriveled hand. Now, Jesus could have waited until tomorrow. Why didn't he wait until tomorrow? I mean, one more day, the man had been suffering for a long period of time. Why not just wait one more day? And then the question comes up. And I love this question. When is it okay to break the Sabbath? Don't you love loaded questions? Have you ever been asked a loaded question when you know like, I don't think that's really the question. I think there's a question under the question. So when somebody asks you a loaded question, you kind of go, this one doesn't feel right. This feels like a setup. So when is it okay to break the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath was set up as a way to test whether or not you were obedient and faithful to God. It was like a, a marker. So if you followed the laws in which the religious ruling class set up and ordered, and you followed them to the T, it would prove to your community, this is what faithfulness and obedience to God actually looks like. So they predetermined what these markers were. Question, does, it, does any of that sound familiar today? Like we see some of those similar patterns in ourselves, if we're honest. Here, here's certain markers. Here's certain things that you've got to hit to predetermine whether or not you're faithful and obedient to God. So instead of playing into the question, Jesus digs under the question, which is a total Jesus move, to get to the question under the question. And he starts to dig into the motives, and he asks a question. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? To save or to kill? Which is like, how do you bounce back from that question? great question, and they don't respond. Now, what lens are we interpreting this story through? Chapter 4 of Luke, the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come to set the oppressed free, to release, to forgive those who are poor, those who are marginalized, those who have been oppressed or pushed out into the margins. 
Think about it. The very idea of Sabbath, one day in seven that we set aside where we don't consume, where we don't let our lists rule the day, where we set aside and we are just grateful and thankful for the gift of life that God has given to us. Imagine an entire year set aside for that. And that year is called the year of the Lord's favor or jubilee. So this idea of one day being linked to an entire year, that seventh year, where we set it aside and we follow the love and the delight of God. This idea of the seventh day linked to the seventh year in order to set things right. Imagine an entire year of working on reconciliation and relationships. Like, Imagine an entire year of, of settling debts, an entire year of helping to set one another free. That just sounds like a kingdom of God type of atmosphere. And imagine another whole year of just resting and not producing and not consuming, but stepping back and just honoring what God has created. That's the purpose of Sabbath in Jesus' mind. It's to honor the divine, but it's also to address suffering Of course, Jesus had to heal this man on the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath was for. Of course, he couldn't wait one more day. He had to do it on that day because that's what the day is for. Of course, he had to do it. He's demonstrating what the kingdom of God is like because, friends, when you're suffering, and whatever degree of suffering that is, if it's emotional suffering or physical suffering or a communal suffering that you're experiencing as a whole people, the idea of rest really is a foreign concept, isn't it? The idea of stepping back and resting when you're suffering, all you can think about is your suffering. And here's Jesus that says, I can't allow this man who's experienced all this shame and condemnation that he can't fully participate in the community. I can't allow him not to fully step into freedom because that's why I'm here. I have to set people free. Now let's step back for a moment and ask ourselves some hard questions as religious people today. The Pharisees were acting as barriers to the healing of this man. And they were doing this in the name of God. Now keep in mind, the Pharisees are just like you and me. Good, God-fearing people. Our hearts wanna please God. We wanna be obedient. We wanna honor the scriptures. We wanna follow Jesus. But this is where it gets really hard. When we as religious people Do not constantly keep in the forefront of our minds that we might be doing the same exact thing as the Pharisees. It can get really blurry. We've got to pay careful attention that we're not creating barriers for people in order for them to experience the goodness of God. And all of our obedience and those, those desires might be rooted in really good things, but it can be very sobering when we step back and ask ourselves the questions, are we, as God's people in the here and now, aligning ourselves with God's mission in the world, or are we acting as barriers to it? It's a sobering question. Back in March of 2020, the pandemic hit We're not even a year into it yet. Isn't that just so discouraging? But a year ago, everything stopped. And in particular, because I'm in this profession of being a minister, the church just kind of came to a screeching halt. It just stopped. And we're we're asking the question, uh, now what? 
I remember my first Sunday, I was at home. I've, I haven't been home on a Sunday in like 52 years. I'm like, what, what is this home on a Sunday morning? This is weird. Why, why am I here? What am I doing? Now what do I do? And we're asking the question, like everything just came to a screeching halt. All the things that we had been doing, we had to reconfigure, renegotiate, repurpose, going, huh, I wonder what God is up to right now. It gets back to that change and adapting. Now we have to change and we have to adapt. I think this last year in particular has been an incredible opportunity for us as God's people to ask some really hard questions of ourselves and to go, where, where are we missing it, friends? And are we aligning ourselves with God's purposes in the world or are we acting as barriers to it? It's a great time for us to step back and ask those questions. And I, and I hope and pray that as things go back to some kind of a normal, whatever that is, that as we get back into a flow and the, and the vaccine and everybody is now operating in this realm of not wearing masks, whatever the future holds, I hope and pray that we as the church do not go back to the way things were. That we don't run back to certainty. That we don't run back to too quickly going, let's just get back to this. Because maybe, maybe this is an opportunity for us to ask some hard questions, going, what needs to change? What needs to realign? And whatever religious rites or traditions or beliefs that we hold dear if they do not contribute to the work of God and the mission of God in the world, then let's get rid of them. Right? Let's just get rid of them. We're done. We're done playing that. We're, we're done. What we want to be about is this inauguration speech. We want to be about these five signposts. We want to be marked as a people that are highly concerned in action and not just proclamation, that we want to bring good news to the poor. We want to set the captives free. We want to declare that there's freedom for the prisoner. We want to help those who are blind recover their sight, and we want to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's like, friends, we are in a super Sabbath right now. Welcome to super Sabbath, where we get to reflect back, huh, I wonder what it's going to take for us as his people to align ourselves with the purposes of God in the world and where we're missing it. Do we have the courage to admit it? And do we have the strength and the courage to step fully into the way of Jesus so that everyone, and I mean everyone, can truly experience the freedom of Jesus? Because friends, we can't rest until everyone gets to experience that freedom. Because every day is loaded with potential and possibility that God might show up and we get to step into it fully in that moment and declare this is the year of the Lord's favor. Let's participate in what Jesus is up to in the world today. Holy Spirit, as we seek to wait, as we seek to wrap ourselves around you and your purposes in the world, give us the courage the humility to admit where we're missing it, where we can say we repent of that, we lay that aside, we get rid of that because that's no longer serving the purposes of God and we understand that there can be no discrepancy between the mission of God and the practices of Jesus. There just can't be. So we wanna fully step in to your way, Jesus, here on this island, over to Bellevue, 
all throughout Seattle, all the way down to Renton, Olympia, all throughout the region that you've placed us in, Jesus, that your spirit would go out and draw people and heal and set people free in the name of Jesus. So be it. Amen.